Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. This is Athletics Life Stories with your host, Chris Broadbent. You know, this is the first time I've ever been at the front of a major race, and I didn't think I deserved to be there or was fit enough or strong enough to be there. I don't know who that person was, but he did save my life that night. I saw what the world record was, I thought, oh, flipping it. Welcome to Athletics Live Stories with myself, Chris Broadbent. Today I'm joined by Tom Bosworth, the leading British race walker of the modern era. A multiple British champion, Commonwealth Games silver medalist and world record holder, he has been a flag bearer for the discipline over the last decade. But he is so much more than an athlete. He's a strong advocate for mental health awareness and LGBTQ plus rights. Uh, Tom, good to see you. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, good, good to have you here. So tell me about your, you're from Kent, aren't you? Tell me about your childhood. Now you, uh, what, what that entailed growing up in Kent. Um, yeah, I mean, I had a really lovely uh, upbringing. My, I like to think my parents did it, did a good job. Uh, they taught me about the world a little bit, but uh, they're really passionate about us being um, healthy and fit, and um, that's how I kind of got into athletics. And I did did loads of sport outside of school. Didn't really enjoy sport in school, but really enjoyed sort of track and field did a bit of gymnastics um and yeah that was kind of I think really important uh, for my parents was for us to always try something we try musical instruments wasn't very good at them but you know it, my parents always really encouraged us to try and say say yes to any sort of challenge whether that be in school or or on the athletics track you know yeah, yeah. So you were very physically active then. You said you tried a bit of gymnastics and other sports as well. You say, yeah. Can you give us a, some examples of what else you did? Yeah, I did some trampolining, and I, I really, I, you know, me and my dad, when when I was a lot younger, we used to cycle together, and I just, uh, you know, I, I didn't always enjoy being outside, um, but I did enjoy doing sport, and and you know, I was, I never felt really like it was for me. I never thought I was very good. But I, I enjoyed watching sport and, and when I could, but, uh, taking part in it. Um, but as I say, I was never any any good. I think that was probably my own head telling me that I wasn't any good at it rather than not trying hard enough. Um, but, yeah, it, it was it, sport. Uh, the first thing I remember watching was the 1999 Champions League final when Manchester United won the treble. So, mm. you know, it was so, something I... I didn't really understand what the treble was or who Man United were really even, but it was such a significant moment uh, that I just thought, oh, all sport has got to be as dramatic and as fun as this every mm, single mm, time. Mm. I mean, what a way to kind of be introduced <laughs> to football. Um, but but yeah, it, it kind of just intrigued me, the drama and and and, and the passion of it. And, and I've always... I've always thrived off that throughout my own career now, you know, the real real passion of fans and my, and my friends and my family and myself. Uh, so and I, I've seen that, you know, from a young age. Good, good, good. And tell me about athletics, how you first got involved with athletics. 
uh, yeah, my sister joined Tom- Tombridge Athletics Club through a friend um, uh, who happened to do race walking uh, with, uh, you know, the race walk coach at, at Tombridge, Pete Selby. And I, a year or so later, maybe a little bit later than that, but I was 11 and, yeah, just said, oh, I'm coming down to the trek and sitting at the side of it. Why don't I do a bit? Uh, so my mum put me in just like a, a, an age group sort of fun kids class what you know whatever they do at that at that point on a Tuesday night and tried a little bit of everything um and then a year or so later I said oh can I try the race walking um I mean if my sister can do it I can do it better <laughs> uh, my sister's friend did, did the race walking with a race walk coach but there's quite a big group you know especially in the southeast a lot of the clubs it's quite a normal thing to have you know it's all in the uh, youth leagues and and it's why clubs have coaches and, and and a good squad and it's and it's pretty much where all our international walkers bar, bar a handful have come from in the last 10 to 20 years so um yeah it was it was purely one of those things that I kept doing a bit of running I really enjoyed long jump but I did that mostly at school um and never thought any more of it it was just going down once or twice a week and for fun and fitness and and yeah yeah that was it <laughs> Good. Uh, and was there a breakthrough moment for you where, you, where it became more than just a you know a thing you did in your spare time? I think um, in my late teens, so we're talking you know six seven years in, I stopped growing. I grew into my body. Um, you know, I was in sixth form, so I had a little bit more time. So I just was running and being active a little bit more, and and with the with the aim to maybe try and improve some of my times, which were awful. You know, I was coming last and local league race this was a national championship sort of challenging or or making teams or anything like that as a junior um but then I think because I had just done it for fun for so long my times had a long way to improve a long long way to improve so it so it happened quite quickly and um it it really snowballed from age 17 to really 19 I went from dead last in the entire country to making a British junior team over over the 10k junior distance, and my time in my PB decreased from by about seven minutes <laughs> over 10k. So uh, yeah, it, that shows I think just how bad I I was, rather than, <laughs> you know how good I was. Um, but that was just motivation in itself, and you know my dad was like, right, what are you going to do after sixth form? You need to get a job, and I was like, oh, I'm getting getting better at this. So, you know, I'm going to run a bit more in my training and do a few more days race walking. Um, and my coach then started to set me a bit more training. And, and you know, I achieved that, that uh, European Cup team in 2009. Uh, came dead last in France. I uh, was absolutely gutted, heartbroken, because I was ranked about 24th or something. But I didn't know what I was doing. It showed my amateurness, I guess. Mm. And, uh, and my coach said, you know, I've probably taken you as far as, as possible and there's this opportunity to go to Leeds Beckett University where England Athletics and British Athletics have kind of put my next coach Andy Drake in place uh, to kind of help rebuild the sport really and um, and that was really mature and, and awesome of, of, mm. of my coach um, to, to, to do that and say you know time to you know if you want to do this you can you can you can, he always said I could go a long way you know um and he always had 
it's a belief in me and I don't know why but he did yeah. Yeah. and that was kind of it I went to Leeds and it all went very professional that's interesting because I mean there's a lot of coaches at grassroots doing fantastic work but they do uh, you do hear stories about uh, coaches clinging on to athletes sometimes um but that is a it's, it's important to have that coaching ladder isn't it you know you can move on to the next level and you move on to the next level of expertise um yeah I think uh for a lot of coaches uh, well no for my coach sorry for my coach P he um he was only just about the grassroots that's all he was about uh and that, not that he didn't have any interest in taking me to the next level he just recognized that that wasn't his expertise his expertise was just encouraging people to have fun and and, and be part of of an athletics club give race walking a go do a few races and if you enjoy it keep going okay okay so now you're in Leeds with Andy Drake and it obviously did move up a new level didn't it um you were in that proper professional environment I guess uh, and you got to the Commonwealth Games in 2010 your first big major multi-sport event um what do you remember about that experience yeah I, I still remember Delhi 2010 not like it was yesterday it does feel a long time ago <laughs> but it was such a uh, such a iconic uh, games for so many bizarre reasons you know there were a lot of challenges and the uh, team members did say to me Tom this might be your first major chance but it's probably gonna be one of the toughest major champs you ever do and that's nothing to do with the race it was just quite an extreme environment you know everything the worry of getting Delhi belly and uh, part of the village not being finished and and not quite being the most glamorous of of championships but I absolutely loved it you know I was fascinated by in India and Delhi I thought it was just incredible as a 20 year old to see that mm. it was just amazing and I just thought wow I've really made it here I have absolutely made it um it just showed how in 18 months you know I, I was still so amateur I still had no idea what I was doing my training wasn't great I was trying to train every day and be full-time and study and all of it it was you know balance growing up and moving out as well so yeah there was so much uh going on but it was it just felt like I was on top of the world at that point point. Mm. and 11th place is not bad is it at Commonwealth Games it's a good good starter for that that, that that international career you were you were seeking yeah definitely it was it was a pretty average day uh in comparison to sort of my my season I could have gone a little bit quicker in terms of PB wise uh, might move me up a place or two but yeah I was, I was pretty happy with that um, and and I getting to that I thought was going to be the pinnacle I never thought there'd be much more after after that I didn't think I could be any good still even that and that was the challenge with race walking you have to go from 10k to 20k from junior to senior so it's it's quite a challenge uh, that is it's pretty tricky um, you are just doubling the distance so it was like oh, I've just got used to 10k training now I'm now I'm going up mm. to 20k and that, that's a big difference you know it's a big big difference mm -hmm. and, then, and then I guess on the horizon was London 2012 um so you must have been going for that but did it did it come too soon that in your in your, uh, in your development yeah it did it came a year too soon and, and uh, but it was a, a blessing I've always said this for the last few years always that if I'd gone you know I improved my 20k time by about four minutes in the winter of 2011-12 because I wanted to go to a home Olympic Games who wouldn't um, but I would have gone there I would have finished about 30th and it would have been an amazing summer being involved um, you know I went and watched and I you know it was incredible um, 
But I don't know whether I would have gone on to achieve what I did after it, because not making it gave me so much motivation to to mm. never miss a championships ever again. And, and you know, if I managed to improve by four minutes and, and nearly qualify by just missing out by a few seconds, imagine if I did this sort of level of hard work and commitment year in, year out, where it could take me. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I, th- I think obviously you are operating at a new level in the next few years because you were getting good results in the international circuit, top 20s and the rest. And then you got 12th in the, in the Europeans. The Europeans is a, is a very high level competition, isn't it, in, in the walks as well? So Very strong. Europeans. Yeah. Well, I, I, my seventh place at World Champs in 2019 would have finished me fifth. I was fifth European height. So that just speaks for itself. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that 12th place I was delighted with. And I think actually I've ended up 11th due to people being removed. Uh, <laughs> OK. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was like, oh, I've beaten some half decent names here. And that guy was wherever in the Olympics and he was only a few places ahead of me. So I think so. It was uh, it, it was very blind because I was just learning how to race major championships. 2014 um Zurich was the first major I'd done since since commies you know we have like the race walking world cup and European um cup which is like world cross country and European cross country um big fields uh but obviously very high quality so I was learning from them and 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 that's kind of the biggest things I'd done and then yeah then Europeans came along and it just sort of ignited that fire in making these major championships could I do all four was the aim was commies europeans worlds and olympics and i was halfway there then and it was just about going to them still and learning and i never thought i'd be at the front of races mm-hmm. but yeah then you get you did take another one off in the next year gets a world championship in beijing 25th and that was uh, uh what was that experience like was it a good good championship for you that yeah it, it was, a, you know, I'd been training in Japan beforehand, so I was really starting to feel professional, I guess, you know, my mm. life was now about training full time and, and seeing how, what, what level I could reach. And I went into that with a target of a, of, of a top 20. Um, funny story about that, though, is I actually finished 24th, but on the results, it still shows me 25th because the engine guy cut a lap short. Oh. <laughs> and... Um, Went into the stadium because it was a start and finish in the stadium, which was really cool to start and finish in the bird's nest and kind of go through, you know, to race through the sort of underground tunnel into the stadium was awesome. But, yeah, he, he cut a lap short and um, it still shows up on the results. I don't does know why. It, does it? It's OK. Um, but, yeah, it, I was like, where the hell has he come from? Like, I could see him in the place ahead of me or something like that, or a few places ahead of me. I was like, ooh, where the hell? Yeah, and I was on for the British record that day, but the heat of Beijing just, uh, there was no shade on the course. The course was up and down by the bird's nest. And if you've been to that stadium in that area, you know there's no shade. And, and the last 5K, I, oh, I fell apart. I really did. I lost about two minutes. Uh, um, but, you know, I really was at this point like, I, was, I had pretty much every other British record over every distance except the 20k, so I was really desperate to get it. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You're clearly, clearly get moving towards world class at that uh, at that stage, which is great. Um, I guess the, the other big thing that that, that year was that um, you, and this is not something I'd like to raise in, in you know, 10, 20 years time, I hope, but actually you became the first um, Team GB openly gay athlete to come out, didn't you? In, in 2015 what was behind that decision and what was the what was the reaction to it 
Yeah, it was. Oh, it was a bit of a whirlwind. Absolutely. We, um, I, you know, at that point, I was pretty confident that I was going to go to Rio Olympics as long as I didn't get injured or anything like that. And I saw what it was like around London and, and the sort of not obsession, but the interest in in athletes and you know athletes from anywhere can suddenly get a bit of a media attention and and this sort of thing so all I wanted to do was kind of cover my own back and 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 put the, it out there on my terms because I I was seeing from a, a handful of other athletes who have come out it it suddenly blew their life up really a little bit because being gay in sport is so rare still which mm. is less now but it, it's still a yeah n- the LGBT community is not represented at all um and and so I was like right, I'm just going to do a blog piece put it out there and you know that's it no one cares who I am nobody knows who I am a race walker it doesn't matter whatsoever and my agent just asked a few people what the best thing to do is and and how to manage it and somehow it ended up on breakfast telly on on BBC one which was just ludicrous and it, I, I, yeah I had a real 15 minutes of fame and it, it was full on it was very very full on but it was something I never regret doing. The messages I still get today from around the world and, uh, you know, of thank you and or I, or I wish I wish I could be in your position where I could come out to my friends or family where it's it maybe in a country right. illegal and that sort of thing. It's, it's inspiring. And and, and I, it also makes me appreciate how damn lucky I am to be here and living in the country that I am where it's pretty accepting. Um, and as you say it shouldn't even be really a conversation it should be something that's necessary yeah 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 what um, what was your did you did you take anything from other athletes that had, or other sports people that had, that, had, that had come out like tom daly or the rugby player gareth thomas did you take anything from those guys that you thought that inspired is the wrong word but gave you a bit more confidence in doing what you were doing definitely but it also it also felt like there was a necessity for it because you know, in, in other in other jobs, perhaps you wouldn't have to stand up and shout from the rooftop that, that you're in a same-sex relationship. But in sport, it seems like it can't just be a normal thing. You know, we're now eight years later, and, and it is getting there. People are now just putting it out there. Uh, yes, it still gets a hell of a lot of attention, and, you know, news stories written, and that sort of thing, but it's becoming less and less breaking news. I mean, it's more... Yeah celebrated story yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah yeah great okay and then and then off, off you go to the uh, your first olympics in in uh, in rio um and you were in great shape and uh, i mean you led that race for a long way long way didn't you yeah about 16 kilometers of it i i, I look back at that win uh, that 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 sort of prep and the olympics you need everything to fall into place and so on oh every big race to get the best out of it you just need everything to fall into place but I was doing everything right I look back at it now and I was training so well and I wish I had had a bit more confidence in myself to really sort not just just be in the lead but control that lead I was not checking over my shoulder but every turn you know on the walks it's a 1k or 2k lap so you know where everybody is and how close behind you you are and I just stuck to my race plan and everyone I don't know why they were concerned about how hot it was going to be and it, it was warm and it wasn't it wasn't crazy hot but I set off at my race plan and my target was to get that top 20 which I just missed at Beijing the year before 
and nobody went with me and I was like what is going on here like I shouldn't be leading this and as the kilometers went around I just was like oh they'll catch me and pass me they'll catch me and pass me they'll catch me and they didn't <laughs> for a long long time and around 16 kilometers I could I knew they were slowly but surely catching me that chase pack and I gave in a little bit and what I did was I, I allowed myself to be swallowed up by the group and, and latch on but that just took the adrenaline away from me a little bit for, and it just became a, all right I could I could hang in there and I remember thinking with about 3k to go I can still finish in the top 20 place here why was that going through my head like it just showed the doubt or, or you know this is the first time I've ever been at the front of a major race and I didn't think I deserved to be there or was fit enough or strong enough to be there and I dropped down to ninth or tenth place and then something clicked in my head I remember with two laps to go going hey you've just led the Olympics what are you doing go and finish as high as possible and I knew in track and field what a top eight meant and I knew I'd slipped out of that and I wasn't entirely sure what position I was in anyway I just went like tick off the next one the next one and the next one and and, and somehow ended up sick um and there's a picture of me holding my face sort of thing at the end of the race in just shock that I must have done a lap short was going through my head or something like that it just, it just shouldn't be for me like this isn't meant to happen to me um, and I smashed my British record by about 40 seconds and oh what a day and having all my family roadside it was just and they were like we're used to seeing you mid-pack and missing you every few laps or whatever that was sickening. They, they were like, please warn us the next time we're going to go and do that. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, are, are you saying that it was like it wasn't a physical thing? It was the it was the uh, you know, the mental the mental uh, not preparation, but your 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 mentality throughout the race, which is uh, which which was your undoing really for that, was it? Yeah, and I guess you know what to do something you don't believe you can do it really, mm. or you don't know how to do it until until you have experienced it and I wish there was kind of I mean I'm naive because that earlier that year I'd won my first like international meet in Slovakia I'd, I won that and with some top names in it and and you know bar one race I think I think I'd won every single race I did that year bar one so why on earth uh I didn't I was doubting myself I don't I don't know but hindsight's a wonderful thing and you know going to the Olympics it was just like well, I'm never going to be good enough so yeah yeah but obviously it's being six in the olympics is, is a statement and your, your expectations are, are, are up then aren't they i guess so so next next couple of years you know was um um well very interesting to say the least i mean you were breaking world records you broke world the world mild record at the uh was it the anniversary games at uh at the stadium i mean um let's, let's let's talk about that first the world breaking the world mile record at the olympic stadium what was that like oh it was just brilliant you know i mean I'd always looked at it, you know, the Diamond Leagues and stuff, and God, God, I wish we could just get a track walk in it, you mm. know. And well, I appreciate, you know, we hadn't really had anybody. We, well, we hadn't had anyone in the top ten at, at any major races, um, the senior major races for, for decades. So, you know, it's not a Diamond League event. Why would why would you put one on? You know, it didn't, just didn't make any sense um, to include it. So I was I was over the moon when British Athletics and 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 the team at, at the anniversary game said, "Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll do a mile, but you've got to do something big if you want if we if you're going to hold it. We want you to go after the world record." Yeah, I saw what the world record was. I thought, "Oh, flipping it!" 
It might be. It was done in the year of my birth in 1990, but it, indoors to walk, it, the mile is done most years somewhere. You know, uh, Milrose Games has a mile walk and that sort of stuff, and it's never been broken. So I was just like, blimey, this is going to be tough. Uh, and, and you know, I just stood on the start line. And I had a great winter. I was carrying a little knee injury. Sorry, I had a great summer. Um, I was racing pretty well. I had a fourth at European Cup, just missing a medal there. So, you know, I'd reinforced that I was meant to be in that sort of front pack now. So, mm. you know, I went and raced that mile and, and the crowd in there, you know, most of them are families and that some of them might never even been to an athletics event before. And they would, they just went crazy for the walk. And I'd never seen it before. I got so many nice messages afterwards saying, this was amazing. Can't believe somebody could walk this speed. And I ended up smashing it. But that was the going back to the adrenaline and stuff I said at the start. That was just the passion. I really thrive off, off the day, off the moment. Uh, and and oh, it was just it was just a dream come true to have put the event on, being part of that. And then and then actually getting that record to sort of pay off for to the organisers and telly. And, and yeah, it was just brilliant. Great, great. It must be very satisfying to you know, be, have the expectation, but then actually produce it as well. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. But disappointments also that year with the uh, the uh, London World Championships as well, where expectations were a bit greater. Uh, and as happens to many international race walkers, you did get disqualified. It's part and parcel of the sport, isn't it? How did you deal with with that? Yeah, race walking uh, disqualification isn't like a false start in 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 sprinting or something like that, where you're just you know, again, it's, it, you never do it on purpose, um, but it, it is a very, very normal thing of part of race walking, whether it's fatigue, whether you're learning still, you're a youngster coming through. Um, and I had to go back to 2013 to find my other, my the, the last DQ uh, between London and, well, actually, the rest of my career from 2013 onwards, I only had one DQ and that was, <laughs> that was at London. Um, but uh, that was kind of, that was where the mindset was polar opposite to Rio and it taught it taught me a lot going forward into races is to not care as much um and off the diamond league and off suddenly a, lo- a lot of attention and by well I don't mean loads of attention but the attention that other top athletes get it was all very new it all come overnight and and the anniversary games didn't help with my own mindset but I mean it, I can't complain because it's what I wanted it's what I had hoped for I wanted to be recognized as any other event uh, mm. any other athlete um, and my head just just went and, and it was the only race that I kind of didn't listen to my own head and my own race plan like I normally do I'm normally so switched on um, and and don't let it doesn't let anything bother me but you know that race course was on the mile in front of Buckingham Palace three or four people deep at the side of the races thousands of people there not for the race walk but it was a summer sunday afternoon mm. but the race had gone from the red button at rio and it's now on bbc2 with paula and steve you know commentating and, and a lot of focus on me so it really you know that the whole event had changed as well as as well as sort of my profile people were just screaming in my face through the race spurring me on and i was leading the world and i all all that was going through my head was I must win this race or at least get a medal. And all I was processing was how to win it and, and winning must win, must get a medal. Uh, and 
I was all over the shop sort of thing in the race. I was moving around the pack. I was dropping from the front of the lead pack to the back of it, trying to get a drink. It was baking hot. And yeah, it just, there was no calmness. Uh, and, and you know, my technique must have been all over the place because in that 12K mark, 12 to 14 kilometre mark, I got all my red cards. Or I got three of the four. Um, you know, and that showed it. You know, if I got four red cards, you know, you, you did, you've done something wrong. And if you've done it in one 2K lap, you deserve it uh, mm. that, you, know, you must have had a really really bad lap um and i can't complain with that it was absolutely heart-wrenching and gutting but but i you know i deserved it okay fair enough you got to take that one on the chin then yeah um next year i mean you did get your first major medal next year your first uh, commonwealth games in, in australia uh, silver medal in the gold coast um that must have been it's good to you go through a long international career it's good to get one in the cabinet isn't it yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, it, it was sort of redemption. Uh, after Rio, I'd kind of gone right. Can I can I get a top eight at every major championships? That was kind of my my aim off off that. So to achieve that, commies, but to get on the podium, we all went under the old Commonwealth record. All three medalists went under the old 20k record. I broke my own British record, um, and was only four seconds off Dane, the Aussie, who 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 won bronze in Rio. Um, so I was like, yeah, you know, it was another statement that I, I am, I am really good now. You know, I can, do, I can do this on repeat. And that gave me such confidence because it, it, I broke an hour 20, which I'm the only Brit to do that for, for the 20K as well. So um, yeah, it was and a great day. The comedies are brilliant and the Aussies know how to do it. And on the goalpost with my parents there, Oh, yeah, it was just, yeah, magical. Great environment, yeah. And a couple more world records that year as well. You just started to get a reputation for world records. You did the in- indoor world record in Glasgow over 3K and, and outdoors again back at the anniversary games in London, the 3K again. Yeah, um, they were, the 3K was actually, especially the indoor one, was lightning fast and I only beat mm. them half a second. And it really nearly blew up my um, um my Commonwealth because... I managed to do myself a bit of an injury because I, I averaged 3.30 a kilometre, which just walking, because uh, of the technique, you know, my back and my, my ligaments take all the spring. That's how you get your fast turnover, uh, going through your hamstrings, back to your knees. And oh, I was I was in agony for, for days after that race. But it was brilliant, you know, it was showcasing. I always loved my hyper extending legs allow for that sort of elasticity to go so fast over a mile, 3K, 5K, I've got one of the fastest 5K times ever as well. Um, but wasn't made so, I had to try and get stronger for the 20Ks. So I loved doing those track races, I really did. And, and it was even better to be able to keep breaking world records as well. Mm. yeah yeah and so so on the face of it uh, you know good year but the and you've spoken about this as well you, you had a bit of a low point that year uh, with your mental health didn't you yeah it was really the real beginning of kind of what happened uh that it all started to unravel a little bit after london because at this point you know i was 27 after london or everything the roller coaster had just been on the climb you know it was just going up and up and up and everything was brilliant and and I was Tom the athlete and that was it and my life had kind of forgotten about everything else uh and just been focused on on race walking and winning a medal and top eighting and ticking all these boxes and sponsors and t 
TV races and it was a lovely problem to have. But as soon as I got disqualified at London, it all unraveled a little bit and went, oh, this is a massive anticlimax. So I went into my off season and got a bit pissed on the night out, as you do, and mm. and just didn't really focus on what I should have been doing at that time of year. It was just having some downtime with Harry, my now husband, and seeing mm. my family and my friends down in Kent. And I just neglected all of that and was just like, yeah, I've got to go back to training in a month's time. I'm just going to kind of use this month to to let off steam is kind of how I saw it. And and it just, I just became a shell of myself, really. And commies being when they were in April 2018, just allowed me to clip back. And, you know, I was in South Africa then within a few weeks, uh, then out to Australia early. I then flew to China for the World Cup and uh, oh, I stayed in Australia, uh, then went to China for the World Cup came back for about a couple of weeks, went to St. Moritz before Europeans, led Europeans and then tore my quad, ended up seventh, ticked that box of getting a top eight at least, but mm. should have added another medal, was pissed off about that, came home, did the same thing again. And suddenly Harry was like, well, I, you, you know, what are you doing? You're treating me awfully. You're treating yourself awfully. I was getting very down at that point you know I didn't really know who I who I was or what I was on what I was really doing and I knew I, I, I was embarrassed for myself and I was getting really really down behind closed doors that when it went away because you know the reason you do all this is is to celebrate with other people and have those people by your side and to think that I was making Harry miserable was making me miserable and and it was just a catch-22 and and Harry said to, to me in sort of the autumn of 2018 you know it's it's almost me or the sport a little bit or you need to start you need to get a grip a little bit um you can't just be 100% the sport all of the time and I didn't know what he meant because I, I, I literally had nothing else bar going training and, and racing and, and I neglected so much and it and it got myself again into that catch 22 I was you know if I'm not an athlete I'm nothing what's the point of being this athlete if I'm just causing harm and it just kind of got to the point where I just thought it's enough's enough there's so much going on in my head it was it's just I, it's better for everybody if I just end it all and and did try and take my own life on a couple of occasions um and it it you know Harry just said you need to get help I'm, mm. I stand by you but I won't stand by you for long if you're going to do this uh, and thankfully through UK Sport, British Athletics, you know, I, I did. Uh, I got that help and 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 it was a bit of a long road. Uh, but, yeah, they were they were fantastic. Yeah, that's thanks for telling us about that. I don't uh, I don't want to pry too much, but I mean, you say you made two attempts there. I mean, how, how close were you or did you were you discovered by family or? Yeah, very, very close, unfortunately. Uh, the, the worst one was. Uh, when I when I left the house one evening after not yet another argument with with Harry and, and I just thought you know it's better off better off with without me here um, and I drove to a local motorway bridge and and was pre- pretty much on the edge of that um, and Harry thinks I'm I Harry thinks I imagined this which is a little bit creepy I'm not into <laughs> sort of spirits or whatever but uh, or ghosts or anything like that I'm sure it happened but somebody pulled up and stopped and, and told me to get back over the fence and, and help me. And, and, and cause I was on the phone, Harry had rang me saying, where are you? Come home, come home, come home. 
um, and I'd put the phone down on the pavement and he said he didn't hear anybody um, but you know it was, that would have been difficult but yeah that I still I don't know who that person was but he did save my life that night and um, and that was that was the moment where when I got in it was you know go to bed and in the morning you need to phone somebody screw training for five minutes and mm. get some get some bloody help because you are miserable absolutely miserable and people had said it to me all year you know are oh, you all right you don't seem your usual happy outgoing self i'm, I'm an ex- extrovert completely and, and i that had gone uh, and you know i tried my best to put on that persona but it i, I was hating what i was doing I, there was no enjoyment in it and and yeah, as I say, it's a long, long time. And I, and I talk to youngsters now, and I think it's so refreshing to hear that all of them go, oh, yeah, but I, I'm also studying this, so I'm also, uh, I also play an instrument. I also, everyone nowadays has so much, and that's a really good lesson that has been learned from a lot of my generation. I mean, young, younger athletes have got another outlet, you mean, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's just yeah. more going on than the seriousness of track and field because it's really not that serious at the end of the day but we become so tunnel vision and and dedicated and the be all and end all and you just lose touch with what is important yeah yeah uh, it's it's uh, i've watched the sport all my life but ultimately i hate to admit it but it's all trivial really isn't it <laughs> it is you all <laughs> love it yeah and and it's who's at home welcoming you you home and they don't care if you won lost if you had a good training session bad training session they really don't care that uh, they, they support you no matter what and yeah they just want hug and have a din have dinner with you and that's it <laughs> yeah well it's great so you did emerge I, I guess you know like you said we're much more aware of these issues now but the um you must have got some help that worked for you as well at that time yeah uh, yeah I did and and one thing that sticks by me now is is kind of looking at yourself as a person uh, as a as a house and your foundations and well one of those you know I literally was told to draw draw a house on a piece of paper and, and stick four sort of sticks under it as, as your foundation and, and you need all four of them to keep the house up and my, my one foundation was athletics and then I had to rebuild the one with Harry my family perhaps Jess my black Labrador um whatever it is it could be it could be anything for anyone and I that's such a helpful tool because it make, immediately makes you see oh what are my other pillars what are my other foundations hold keeping me going um I haven't got any but that was one of the best pieces of advice that I ever received yeah good good and then and then uh, you are back on track you're still a world class as well you did get back to that level and you I guess you've met that ambition of finishing top eights and all the championships by finishing seventh in Doha yeah yeah that was you know being that was a bit of a godsend with the championships being in October it gave me plenty of time to kind of face my own battles um and and get healthy and and keep training and enjoy training and and I got injured that summer disappointingly but I was enjoying the process a bit more and and going back to the Tom who just did it for fun and fitness but you know appreciate it is my job (laughs) Uh, and and yeah, I was injured in summer 2019, and and I spoke to head of endurance at the time, and and, said, and he even said to me, "Do you want to do you want to skip worlds? You know what, with the Olympics just less than a year away now, or so we thought." Mm. Um, and I was like, "No, no, no." The competitor in me, I was like, "No, I'm going to get back." I did about two or three weeks of training I was happy with in that eight week stint from 
not being able to literally stand up to um, racing and so to finish seventh was it was just such a brutal race if if anybody saw it you know it was obviously in Doha the conditions were bonkers we raced at midnight but we'd prepped with sodium drinks British Athletic support team were amazing that you know they'd done these sodium drinks full of salt we'd done loads of training in in the heat chamber we'd been in South Africa beforehand uh, we had ice towels that went around our necks and ice hats with ice built in so we could exchange them and and it was such there was so much strategy more than normal to getting through that 20 kilometer race and I knew that race was just going to be about if you finish you're probably going to do well um I I didn't think I would um finish seventh or in the top eight you know I my aim was just to finish that brutal race and it was god I I I don't really remember the last few k now and <laughs> being a little bit wobbly <laughs> And what about also? What about the? It's in Doha. We've seen that you know, the high-profile World Cup that's just gone as well. But what about LGBT issues there? Was that ever uh, ever coming to the equation there? Yeah, it, it did. And unfortunately, even the year before 2018, uh, a reporter did a bit of a ridiculous story on me. Mis- you know, misquoting me. I said, you know, it's the responsibility for us to go and race is on us but it's it's where we ha- where these are hosted is is down to the international governing bodies and our safety is on them and welcoming the world of sport in you know anybody should be able to do it because anybody can do sport so uh yeah it was it was tricky and i did actually i did actually speak to british athletics who who escalated it all the way to government level because I said what if I asked all of athlete, all our athletes who are happy to to put to pin somewhere on their warm-up bag or wherever rainbow laces uh, you might mm. see in the campaign in football yeah uh, just to as a little bit of a demonstration that you know for those people in Doha and around the world where it is still illegal and you know punishable being being gay lesbian or bisexual you know we're we're making it visible for that that we're an ally and and you know it doesn't have to be in their actual shoes or in their competition kit you know I don't want I get that there's rules there but pinning it on your GB bag or you know or wherever on your warm-up top or something like that could be, make a massive massive statement without having to make a massive massive statement uh, unfortunately the risks were too high apparently and it never got cleared and so I was gutted about that but um that demonstrates sort of the severity of of the issue but I went there and I performed as well as I could do which was a top eight and you know being a gay athlete going there performing well just I think speaks for itself as well you know yeah. just being visible in who I am yeah absolutely absolutely yeah and then and then well, the, I guess looking beyond that was the pandemic how did you deal with that as an, an, as an athlete you, you can't you, suddenly you're you know, elite training system, whatever you have in place, is is, is gone. Everything's gone for all of us <laughs> in that period. But uh, how did you cope with that? Did you still train through it, or? I think I think that made made it easier for everyone. Is that everybody was going through it, and it was such an unknown. It wasn't an injury or you know a cancellation or of a chance for whatever reason. It, it you know everybody started as to realise there's more important things in life, and and right now we need to focus on them. My opinion, I think looking back, we probably went a little bit OTT, but that's my own opinion. Um, and and 
yeah, I th- that that certainly made it easier. I was I was emotionally exhausted because my coach is is not the biggest speaker in the world and he doesn't say a lot. But at the end of our camp at the start of February in in South Africa, he said, "I don't think you've missed a single kilometer in a single day this winter." And and I was in scintillating form. I really was. Um, I'd ha- you know I'd rehabbed really well off that back injury and was just boom all out let's go it's October after Doha let's go all out for for next July uh and and we that that was hard to think. getting through that winter get, making sure every single day everything I did eating sleeping training you know was 100% while still remembering the important things I'd learned and appreciating Harry and my family and communicating and being happy so you know the games weren't even cancelled till till mid-March, late March. Um, mm. So it was just exhausting, the uh, the uncertainty. And, and I'd raced so well at indoors, setting a world lead and a British record over 5K, six days later doing a road 10K British record. Ah, uh, And I didn't ever get to do a 20K, which is uh, I'm gutted about. That's the only thing I reflect on now and go, God, I w- imagine if COVID had hit in September of 2020, not not the start of you know there's a good so, chance I'd have a medal yeah really I was, I was going to say so you did you did go on to the to, to Tokyo in 2021 finish 25th but are you saying that if you know you're at absolute you're absolute peak for 2020 I was yeah that, yeah years incomparable the trouble was I did get sick with Covid we didn't know it but we had an antibody test later in the summer me and Harry got really ill because Harry kept he's a special needs um, teacher or now deputy head and had to keep going to school the special needs schools remained open and and so through it all you know he was doing his normal job and unfortunately it's how we caught it and we got really really ill and I only left it a few weeks and I jumped back into training my biggest regret was I wish I had a bit more of an understanding of you know it was a nasty nasty virus there's no doubting that and and as of that moment of about March or so uh, sorry uh, May 2020 I never really had a fully pain-free and comfortable training session again in my career which is quite scary when I look back at it now Mm. and also I want I was going I was going all out to try and replicate that form and that winter from the year before to make sure I was in medal contending shape for 2021 and by doing that I overdid it got injured screwed my back up and most of that you know pretty much from february i remember going to dubai having an okay dubai training camp in january from february getting home i did something to my back and and that was the beginning of of the end really for at least of the olympic dream yeah i mean how how did you how did you did you enjoy the experience of tokyo i mean you know really unusual olympic games really and always will be a a bit of an asterisk against it could you enjoy it at all I tried to because uh, I remembered how fun Rio was and how amazing it was. It was it wasn't fun. It was incredibly stressful with the COVID tests every day. You know, it was full on, and whether we'd even get there, whether your games would be ripped away because of the wrong seat you were sat in on on the plane going there. And and TGB were brilliant. They tried to do everything under the sun. You know, we we were we then moved up to the satellite village and race courses for the marathon and the walks, and it was just atrocious. Um, you know, Tokyo, uh, well, that part of the country, from what I heard, didn't even want the games to 
go ahead. They didn't want to have that satellite village up there. There was no outdoor space. They had removed the training venue and then given one training venue back at the last minute as athletes started to arrive. Uh, and it was just carnage. It was carnage. And I appreciate, you know, they were, they didn't want an outbreak. You know, they didn't want all these people coming to the country and spreading COVID. But it worked. It kept, it kept, it kept everybody safe and, and, contained but it, it just wasn't what Olympic Games should have been and then the hard work to get there and if that was your first or worst only games that's that's tough that's tough that's not much of a payoff unless you've got a medal that was a pretty it was a pretty tough games and and I, I tried to enjoy it because I knew I wasn't going to be competing for a medal um I barely had two full happy weeks of, of training in that summer beforehand so I, I I was aware of you know what I could achieve and, and and it just stayed in my head that oh what could have been 12 months earlier but you know we had winners and losers of that and and, and that was just as a result of a worldwide pandemic. Mm-hmm. So you say your, your body's sort of given up on you to a degree there the Birmingham Commonwealth Games were coming up for the year after had you made in mind if that was that was going to be it and that's the good a good moment for me to say goodbye no after Tokyo I was like you know what that's driven me more to go on to Paris and and try and do it but then I had a break had a really nice break at the end of 2021 and started again 2022 and my back just was getting worse by the day um the pain of just moving around the house was was agony sitting on the toilet getting off it impossible (laughs) um I was like this should be like that and that December, I had an epidural and four facet joint injections in my spine. And that just delayed any sort of training, let alone for a season where there's three major championships. Mm. And quite quickly it became apparent I wasn't going to be good enough to go to the world championship or like be competitive at the world championships. And then it was like, well, I'll do Commonwealths. And if I'm any good there, I'll do Europeans. Commies was getting closer and closer. I was like, right, well, I can medal, I can medal. But each day was just it was just a bit broken I'd miss most of the winter and in hindsight I should have just gone you know what scrap 2022 I'll do 2023 and 2024 recover fully and be fully fit and comfortable and happy should have done that I think but that's a big risk to prolong something for three years if you're in agony every single day and it doesn't pay off mm. or just enjoy it and celebrate your last season for the next six months um so I'm more than happy and, and content with what I decided in, in about March time. And I told my coach and he was he was like, you seem happy with it. You know, you seem mm. like you've you thought it through. Um, and I'd achieved so much over the years. I never, ever thought I'd do what I did for race walking or for myself. So why prolong it any longer than than was necessary if I was just starting to, you know, go up over that peak and I was just on the wrong side of the peak and I think without the back problems I could have gone on to Paris and been relatively competitive but the back problems just sped it up and I didn't want to go to another chance just to fill fill the numbers. Yeah I guess it's a rare opportunity for you to it's a nice end to the career in many ways isn't it to, to where you started the Commonwealth Games or your first major to end the Commonwealth Games in, in your home country it's a it's oh. a luxury not every athlete gets that do they? Exactly. Yeah. I, I was so pr- happy with that and, and to have my family there and that crowd that atmosphere as you say home to it was just it was lovely it was it was I couldn't have asked for a better send-off and to have had 
that that so many other athletes don't get because they're like, no, I'll bounce back from this injury. I've got one more go or I don't even make that team or, you know, I'm I'm really proud. Can I ask you just about the walks generally as well? So it's, it's it doesn't always get the respect of other events. It does, you know, it, it's sometimes maligned and um, even a bit of Mickey taking as well out of it. Um, I've got to be honest, I'm somebody who's questioned it, questioned it in the past about the athleticism of it compared to other events. So tell me, can you just tell me why, you know, why, well, why I'm wrong about that? Assertion's <laughs> wrong. And why? Why? Um, I just, uh, you know, race walk is totally misunderstood. It's just a bit of, I think, education of, of commentators and, and perhaps uh, how it's how it's understood. You know, I, the, the one thing I think everybody has a problem with when they hear of race walking is that, you know, it, it's a lot of people say, oh, it, Oh, I link it. I link it to different breaststrokes, uh, different strokes of swimming, breaststroke, butterfly. You know, it's not the fastest way of moving. It's not, but it's about mastering a skill that can get you to move at incredibly fast paces, um, which isn't as easy in terms of technique-wise as running. Um, and the method of it is, you know, landing with a straight leg, one foot on the ground. That is kind of if you walked fast down the road, that's what you'd naturally do. You'd naturally heel strike. You'd naturally start to actually land with a little bit more of a straight leg. And it's just a pro- progression of walking. So a lot of people say it's not walking. We can see both feet off the ground. You know, that's a real sticking point for a lot of people. And again, in race walking, the, the rule doesn't say you have to maintain full contact with the ground. It's down to the judge's naked eye to allow that athleticism. That's the key bit, because it does allow then athletes to try and master an efficient technique moving at like 350 kilometres, which as soon as you start doing it badly, you're going to be seen like that. The judges are the same. Pretty much 20 judges each year or, or every other year are chosen by World Athletics to do the major championships or the international meets. So the judging is consistent. You know, it's there. Judging is used boxing and gymnastics and diving and all, all sorts and it's just the same same with race walking and and it's why I, I think if that was understood a little bit better is you know the 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 loss of contact with the ground is is minuscule and the judges can they are trained to see it when an athlete has clearly both feet off the ground is then gain gaining an advantage which the science says they are uh, and and that's that's it. It's just a bit bit more complicated than people yeah. realise. Um, but if that's understood, you know, imagine watching a marathon with the chance of an athlete being disqualified in the last kilometre. I think it could be really exciting if done well. You know, yeah, it looks a bit funny. The the technique means, you know, it looks like people are wiggling a little bit. But when you hear that people can travel at sub four minute k's landing with a straight leg, it's absolute agony. Trust me, I know <laughs> it's absolute agony. Um, <laughs> But it takes such dedication and training to achieve that, um, that, yeah, it's certainly an athletic event. And, it, it, you know, that's what's been nice over the years is for other. I've been involved in a lot of British athletics and international sort of training camps and environments and getting to know other runners and other athletes. They see how hard I train just as much as anybody else, you know, uh, and sometimes if 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 not even harder because of the amount of mileage I have to put in and because it's quite slow paced in comparison, you know, to cover that distance and that sort of thing. It's brutal. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I think to mention breaststroke it is interesting because you, you wouldn't you wouldn't think of Adam Peaty as being, you know, no one questions his his event of breaststroke. I mean, he's he's, he's held quite rightly as one of our greatest sports people, um, and it's not too dissimilar what he's doing to what you're doing, really, is it? As a race walker. Yeah, it's not really? it's not the most efficient way of moving through the water. So it should you know butterfly should be an event or whatever. You know, it, it would be like saying that. Yeah. Is there any, I was looking into walking generally. Is there any opportunities for walking itself? I mean, it's a marketing issue there, but but walking is, I was looking at the research from Sports England, it's, and walking itself as leisure activity is the most, the fastest growing activity in the country. 2.4 million more people do it than what did, you know, six years ago. Is there an opportunity there for race walking to engage with those broader walking communities? Yeah, massively, because I think everyone like, well, not everyone. Some people like a bit to be a bit competitive, but a lot of people don't like to run. And it's why we're seeing this boom in walking since COVID. Park Run recently have done Park Walk. And, and it's just such a great way to get fit and uh, and have that time for mental and physical health. It's, it's just, yes, yeah, it, I have championed walking at all levels for, for as long as I can and I will do for as long as I can. And it it's um you do pick up less injuries <laughs> even despite having talked about my back for the last half an hour um and, and and you know those people walking park runs again i say as you, as you start to pick up the speed you might want to see if you can walk a park run slightly faster or walk a, a distance from your house a loop that you know or how far can you walk in an hour or 15 minutes if you're just starting out it's so accessible that that could quite quickly become a little bit competitive for themselves. And, and it, the natural progression is then into race walking, because as I say, as you're walking, you're naturally land with a straight leg or on your heel. Uh, and it, it's it's that sort of way to get into it that, you know, get in contact with a local athletics club or if you're in Northwest, give me a message or whatever. Yeah. You know? um, and, and as I say, Southeast, especially and in the uh, Northeast, there's lots of clubs around and, um, down in Cardiff and Wales, that area, lots of athletics clubs have walk, have race walking going on, and it's just un, unheard of. And and if it's if running isn't for you, but you you want to be competitive and give something a go for your mental and physical health, health give race walking a go. Good, good. And, and you yourself, are you still keeping fit? I mean, despite your your back not giving you too much jip. Oh, my back is so much better. But now I've challenged myself to run a half marathon quicker than I could walk it. Which means yeah. the average of three fifty-seven kilometer. Uh, I don't think I gave myself enough respect for what I managed. I'm running now, and because it's not my day-to-day job, I'm just like, oh goodness, I've got to find time to do this. Total respect to anybody who who made an Olympics or, or even has a job and does anything, any sport well. I total respect for that because I am I am struggling right now to to get the training done and that sort of thing. But it's a nice it's a nice choice to have. If it's raining out there, I'm not going to go outside, you know. Whereas yeah. in the past, I would have had to. So it, it's nice to be that flexible. Yeah, good. And, and also, just a couple of final questions. You got you got married last year, late last year, to Harry. How, how was that occasion? Oh, it was amazing. We, you know, I don't do things by half. Me. Um, <laughs> got a big castle in Yorkshire and and yeah nice big party and oh, it, was, it was just brilliant because we'd it, if Covid had, hadn't happened we would have done it in October 2021 so it felt like a long a long long wait since proposing on Copacabana Beach in, in Rio um, 
but it was it was so worth it and you know there's a lot of stress and build up to it but I would do it over again any any day was there a few athletes there as well for your special day yeah uh, yeah that's it you know I've got friends for life now from the sport and and a number couldn't make it for whatever reason as athletes lives don't allow but yeah lovely Jake Whiteman came and Adele Tracy and Ali Brownlee and uh, you know it was just a great party to be able to celebrate that with with friends I made through the sport and friends I've had from growing up and, and of course my family and you've got a dog called Jessica is she named after uh, one athlete who we, we all know about no but there was a <laughs> okay. group joke that she was because we got Jess pretty much a couple of years after Jess retired so um yeah no no inspiration there whatsoever um but Jess the dog is definitely um practically my daughter and is an inspiration to me <laughs> <laughs> good stuff good stuff well thanks Tom before we, before we wrap up how do you sum up your career when you look back now yeah absolutely unbelievable all of it I, I joined Tunbridge Athletics Club for fun and to kind of get out of my parents hair I think um for it to have given me a career a life time of memories um you know I've managed to earn money off this to to do it as a job traveled the world met so many awesome people it wasn't easy but at the end of the day it was an absolute privilege to have been able to do it uh, and know how lucky I was despite how hard I worked every athlete is that does it is so lucky um, to be able to do it because it's, it's absolutely awesome and and yeah it was the people and, and the places that as I said at the beginning, inspire me and, and that passion and it will li live with me forever. Fantastic. Thanks, Tom. Really, really appreciate your time today. Oh, no problem at all. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Athletic Life Stories with Chris Broadbent. Please tell your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Sports Social Podcast Network.